I hear this often. It's like, well, this is what they do in Norway. It's what they do in Denmark. Why can't we do that here? The population of Denmark is 5.8 million people. That's less than New York City, right? And if you want to look at like the demographic info on that, it's probably very, very homogenous, right? So very, very difficult to compare. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be uh, implementing the things that work that we can do, but just for context. Having a homogenous population just makes it that much easier to push through a robust welfare system. Though I, I will say, I think this is important thing to note. The tax systems in Scandinavia are actually far more regressive than they are than than is what being what is being advocated for by like a Bernie and an AOC. As in, they tax the middle class very heavily um, in order to pay for their social programs. And you have like the Bernies and the AOCs of the world wanting to just sort of tax the super wealthy, which is wonderful in theory, but very hard to pull off in practice. Welcome back to Yang Speaks on your Thursday update. This is your co-host, Zach Grauman. We're back with the wonderful and unique fireball that is Carly Riley. Welcome okay. back. My adjectives are changing. They're going to change every week. Um, unique and fireball? Depending on how the week before went. Um, the So here's the deal. And, and uh, you're getting familiar with this every Thursday, at least this summer, as, as we start to ramp up what we're, we're going to kind of... Um, launch this fall, we're going to dive in on a topic every week, um, both Carly and myself, and talk about what we're missing, what you're missing in the mainstream what press. What we're all missing. That's true. It's collective. So I'm coming at you live from a, a bougie hotel. Um, I didn't pay coming for it. Coming at you very much not live, but... Not live. That's true. <laughs> coming at you from... I mean, if you're look, watching the video, I look um, a little ridiculous with a bed in the background. Anyway, it's best I got. But today's topic is socialism. And it's relevant because of what we're seeing in the news on Cuba. And Carly and I were diving in like, let's do an episode on Cuba. And we're like, the reason this is complicated is because we're talking about the term socialism. And frankly, both sides aren't very clear on what they mean by the term. Um, or And as an average listener, you're like, I'm not really sure what we're talking about and why people are digging in on the right and the left. Um, so let me see if I get this right before we dive in. What we're seeing from the Republicans and the right and the left, we're seeing the right is right is saying kind of what they've always been saying is that socialism is the root of all evil. They're the boogeyman in some ways to keep the status quo, but they're like communism, socialism, terrible, stay away. And the Democrats have been now making this argument that capitalism is bad and that the socialist countries have gotten this right, call it Denmark, Finland, Sweden, and we're all kind of confused, but are they actually socialist over there or not? I, I think it's not clear that those countries are socialist. In fact, I'll make the argument here that they're very clearly not socialist. Um, it's not that I think that Bernie Sanders thinks he's confused about that. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I think that's what's muddied the water is you have had some really prominent politicians recently over the last X number of years talking about socialism and saying they mean things that don't really mean socialism. Correct. Uh, so we'll talk about it. 
And that's and so what and so in Cuba right now, um, which we will dive into and give you guys some more info on it. But basically, we're seeing the people of Cuba are ma- are standing up, um, creating massive protests in the country um, against its communist government um, or socialist government, depending on what we'll define it here. Um, the left is saying, uh, or the right is saying, support the people because communism e- is evil. And the left is now saying we stand with the people of Cuba, but the U.S. is at fault for this, not the communist system. So we'll talk about it, but it's reignited this fight. I think the Democrats are being really careful not to comment on communism at all. Like they're not saying it's not the fault of the communist system. They're just sort of sidestepping that altogether by saying, hey, we stand with the the Cuban people. And also, by the way, we should end this embargo, which, by the way, I agree with um, having now dug into this, like this embargo you know, it's been in place in some form or another for 80 years and hasn't changed anything. I do think at this point, the Obama pivot that he made, which was sort of a different approach than other governments had, other presidents had made in the past was probably right. But maybe we dive into that a little bit more. Let's dive into this because I think um, we're, we're being fed this kind of false narrative. And my goal- Nothing like somebody in a bougie hotel talking about socialism. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Here we are. Um, Nothing says I'm a capitalist, like- (laughs) So let's let so that's the purpose of this episode. I want you all to listen and understand when people are using the term socialism and throwing it out there, what they actually mean, what they think they mean, and help you decide where you stand in terms of what you're telling your kids, telling your friends, and what you vote for um, up and down the ballot, um, and where you stand um, in this like <laughs> nonsense narrative. So, Carly, let's start. I want to start with the basics, and I think you're um, in some way you've been a. Um, like a Warren Buffett fan since you were a small child. Um, so I think you're, but I think you're relatively qualified to, to give us like a lay of the land on what socialism is and then how these, um, both our Democrats and Republicans are defining it. Sure. Uh, so like traditionally speaking, and if you look in the dictionary for like a definition of socialism, it's when the means of production, the profits from a system are owned by a collective. So that could mean, the workers of a company, obviously, in most cases, it's ended up meaning government in some capacity. Right. In practice, usually uh, government, right? Yeah. In practice, it often ends up being government. But the, the idea is that profits and the means of production are publicly owned as opposed to privately owned. So it's about if you nationalize certain industries, right? That's why we talk about socialized medicine, because you if you're if you're nationalizing healthcare, that's socializing healthcare. Um And like a good example, there was a pizza shop recently that decided to turn over all the profits from the pizza shop to the workers of the pizza shop. And so, of course, suddenly they started making, these workers were making like $78 an hour. And you had all these like leftists on Twitter, et cetera, heralding this as an example of the kind of world they want to see where the profits, instead of accruing to the owners of the pizza shop, it becomes like this collective where the profits accrue to everyone who works within the pizza shop. So that would be another example of like a socialist system. Um, And then when you talk about like what the right and the left mean by it, I think the right actually kind of means that, right? Like they're looking at the USSR, they're looking at China, though we'll, I think China's an interesting case because China is really quite capitalist at this point. Yeah, um, but at least historically, we're China. Historically speaking. Been. And then they're looking at Cuba. Um, they're looking at these kinds of countries that have most industries heavily nationalized. In Cuba right now, 88% of the people in Cuba are employed by the government. Like everything is, is essentially nationalized. Um, and they're looking at all of the, the worst examples, right? They're looking at the USSR and the mass famines there. They're looking at the mass famines that happened in China under, you know, Mao and, and communism. And so that's their focus. 
or, you know, and, and they're using that, honestly, to galvanize Latin American votes. Like, that's what you saw in Miami, you know, in this past election cycle was with these folks, a lot of people who'd come from Cuba and they're fear-mongering saying, hey, the Democrats are socialists. They're going to turn the United States into Cuba, the place you fled, et cetera, et cetera. Venezuela, you get, it gets mentioned a lot, though. Again, there's questions about really is, is Venezuela actually social, a socialist country? And you point. said this earlier, Carly, is that socialism and communism defined at least this traditional definition that you're talking about, it doesn't really exist anymore except for Cuba and probably North Korea. North Korea. Right? Well, right. this is what's so interesting. So those are not players in the global economic stage. Um, I mean, they're two of the most dysfunctional countries yeah. in, in many ways in the world. I mean, and in Cuba, the left does like to hold up that Cuba has a really actually strong healthcare system in some ways. That's true. I had a friend who actually got a grant to study in Cuba and study their healthcare system. It's a whole other thing. Like there are elements of Cuba that they get very right, um, but they're also, as you can see based on these protests, a huge mess. Okay, when you talk about what the left, how the left defines socialism, this is where it gets a lot more confusing because you have people like AOC and Bernie who have been very adamant that when they talk about socialism, when they talk about being democratic socialists, they're looking at countries like Norway and Sweden and Finland. I think mm -hmm. AOC Denmark, one time right. mentioned the UK. These countries that have these really robust social safety nets, but like our free market economies. And, and it feels like AOC and Bernie and a lot of these folks, Rashida Tlaib, have sort of co-opted the term socialism to mean something quite different than it originally and historically has always meant. I mean, one like anecdote that I just found incredibly amusing as I was digging into all of this is <laughs> in 2015, uh, in the lead up to the 2016 election, Bernie Sanders obviously was on the trail talking about democratic socialism. He was trying to clarify what he meant by that. He's like, you know, I mean, Norway. <laughs> and then the prime minister of Norway comes and gives a talk at Harvard Kennedy and was like, I literally don't know what he's talking about. Like, we're not a socialist country. We're a very country. free market economy. He's yeah. literally like, we have a free market economy. Like we have a really robust welfare system. We like, we have high Take taxes. Take care of our poor. Right. Yeah. Um, so that seems to be the critical, call it misunderstanding the way that right now the right and left are talking past each other. Um, and I do have to say, it does feel like it's been the left that has muddied these waters. Yes. Because it doesn't, the, this is what I'm passionate about is that it doesn't fit the left's narrative very well. In that if the right's like socialism is bad and evil, the left is like when this happens, they naturally want to say, well, socialism is good. Um, but the reality is, at least from a traditional definition of socialism and communism, fact, there's a fact, not Zach's opinion, it's not Carly's opinion. It has never worked. There's not one example of socialism in that truest definition actually working. The closest ones that we're talking about, that it appears that the left kind of picks and chooses what they want to talk about or what they want to hold up as a good example are your Finlands and Denmarks and Swedens and some of the, the countries that have great social safety nets. Which um, And don't get me wrong, those countries are doing great. Um, they're doing better than us um, by the numbers. But, and, well, let's talk about when we say it has never worked, I think it's, it's worth breaking that down a little bit more for folks. So we said earlier, like, there are very few countries left that are actually socialist. So if you dig online, if you look at sort of experts talk about this, really there are five countries that are get held up as sort of still being socialist. And they are Cuba and North Korea, and then China, Vietnam, and Laos. But what's so interesting is China, Vietnam, and Laos all 
have pretty healthy private sectors in their economy at this point. And Vietnam in particular is interesting, especially as we're talking about Cuba, because Vietnam and Cuba have a close relationship. Uh, Vietnam has been sort of an advisor to Cuba. The the ambassador to Cuba has spoken very publicly. Um, the, the ambassador to Vietnam in Cuba has spoken publicly a lot. And one of the anecdotes that I believe he actually brought up recently, this ambassador, was this ambassador in Cuba said, to build socialism with success, it is necessary to develop a market economy in an adequate and correct way. So I, already you sort of have this contradiction where it sort of feels like your China, your Vietnam, your Laos are like holding on to the idea of communism and socialism in name, but not really in practice. And of course, they're very, they are, they have a lot of central control there. They're, they do have much more state-owned enterprises than the United States, for example. But he's, he's coming out and saying you need this private enterprise. So back X number of decades ago, Vietnam was importing most of their rice, most of their agriculture. And they wanted to stop being so dependent on other countries. So they, uh, the Communist Party there did a study on their agricultural sector. And they discovered that while most of the land that was being farmed was owned by the government, there was about 5% of the land in total that uh, private farmers were allowed to own. And that 5% of land was accounting for half of the entire country's food production. Essentially, the private, when there was an incentive and you felt like you owned it, the results of the food production were way, way better. So what did Vietnam do? They made all agricultural land privately owned. They turned all of the state-owned plots over to private farmers. And they lifted like 20 million people out of poverty that way because they suddenly could independently feed their entire country. So like when we talk about socialism has not historically worked, this is what we're talking about. The countries that even the countries that are still sort of holding on to it have developed really robust private markets. And that's when their people started lifting out of poverty. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash yang. 
Go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more. What I want to dive into is the socialist wing of the Democratic Party, because I think um, and it is worth talking about, because one, what's happening right now is I love this, this Cuban narrative, which we'll get into. But Joe Biden and co the left is saying we stand with the Cuban people, but we have issues with like the historical uh, U.S. embargoes. And, and like, we're not necessarily putting the square blame on the socialist government of Cuba because there's a strong wing or at least a very public vocal wing of the left that is identifying with socialism. And the biggest one is the Democratic Socialists of America, DSA. Um, and look, they are fighting for, I mean, Carl, you can define this pretty well, but they want to, it seems to me they want to take the traditional definition of socialism and evolve it. And there's a lot, they have elected candidates up now about, you know, AOC and Bernie is, I don't think he's publicly a DSA candidate, but he's uh, been endorsed by them. Um, and, and calls himself a democratic socialist. Right. Um, and look, they have a lot of policies that, um, many agree with that aren't, identifying as socialists, whether it's Medicare for all or they organize really, really well on a grassroots level. They believe in really strong labor unions. They believe in the Green New Deal, which uh, we could probably do a whole episode on Green New Deal. But the spirit of the Green New Deal, I think, is generally um, a good thing. Um, but they also have a lot of other policies on their website that aren't necessarily fantastic for um let's call it capitalism or the majority of Americans. Well, opinions. forget that. I mean, their platforms explicitly calls for an end to capitalism. Yeah, so this is where capitalism. You, you, you they believe talk in open about, borders, um, which I don't. You I think say they're trying to evolve socialism. I read their platform, which you can find on their website. And to me, it reads like up and down socialism. Um, you know, I, I they call for an end to capitalism. They call for nationalizing all sorts of sectors. Again, ironically, sectors that are not nationalized in the Scandinavian states. Like they want the telecom sector nationalized, like Sweden liberalized and denationalized their telecom sector back in the eighties. Like there's this very interesting thing that I've discovered as I've, I've dug into this, which is like AOC says she's a member of the democratic socialist party, but then says what she means by socialism is Sweden. But then her party is describing socialism a la Cuba not a la Sweden. And I, I don't really know how we reconcile these things. And I don't know if this is just a marketing ploy, for lack of a better term, on AOC's front, because it's you need to have a term for what you are. And, and she's picked socialism. I don't know if it's that she likes the majority of the DSA's policies, but maybe feels a little differently on some of the nitty gritty policies here. I, I don't really know the answer to that. Because um, the DSA does, they talk about a whole bunch of things. There are a lot about equity, a lot about you know feminism, racial justice, ending the carceral system. They have all sorts of policies in that wing of things, in that vein, um, some of which I, I fully agree with. I would imagine you do as well. Um, and, and then they have the economic policies and the economic pieces of their platform, which read to me very much like traditional socialism. And they, they do do this thing where they have this line like, we want socialism without the authoritarianism. And it's it feels a little bit like, you know, having your cake well, and eating it too. A, like, I think that's a worthwhile question. So um, – because we ran for president with Andrew on the concept of human-centered capitalism, which you could also argue is having your cake and eat it too. Like, you know, can you have 
a capitalist society that values human beings as their intrinsic value as opposed to just dollars and cents. And like, can we take the best parts of capitalism and and build it into something more different? And my question is, is there a same, not that I agree with it, but is there a same existence in the socialism world? Can you evolve, take the good parts of socialism, let's call it a robust safety net and maybe some more equity Oh, um, see, robust safety net is not socialism. I, I think this is where. But I agree, I, but it's part of their platform, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't think so. Let me let me say why. Human centered capitalism. What Andrew was advocating still would involve hierarchies. He's just saying instead of putting profits at the top, instead of saying profits rule everything, he would say, "Hey, we should start having mental health rule everything. We should start having, uh, you know, concern about the climate rule everything." Yeah. But you're inevitably still going to have powerful people and non-powerful. And like power yeah. abhors a vacuum, correct? You're going to have winners and losers. But how we're determining those winners and losers isn't hinging upon profits. Socialism fundamentally is trying to pretend, in my view, human nature doesn't exist as it does. It's trying to mm -hmm. pretend that we can suddenly flatten everything, eliminate hierarchies, eliminate winners and losers, eliminate power, and everything can be, can exist within this, like, owned by the workers, you know? I, I mean, I guess you could argue they're trying to put the workers at, at the top, but then nobody's going to take risks to start businesses if they're not well, reaping the, Like, yeah. they're just, they're trying to flatten things in a way that, to me, is completely unrealistic because yeah. power abhors a vacuum. And, and so that's the difference to me is saying, right. great, I mean, like, lovely. Wouldn't we all love that the world was beautiful and fair and, you know, be wonderful. people- We can hold like, hands in Kumbaya. It'll be great. And, and, and the proof is in the pudding. Like you had a socialist well, country in Vietnam like, where it, it people were starving and like mass famine has been such a, a, a chronic problem in socialist societies. You have them turn their food production to a private free market system and suddenly the, you know, the country is, is well fed. Like it, it's, and, and, and there's this very, very strange thing that happens on the far left and you see it on leftist Twitter. You know, I've been, I've been tracking these to, to genuinely try and understand and, and take a sympathetic view. I'm not just trying to, you know, entrench myself in a, an opinion I already hold. But they're like, it's so funny how people are so excited to criticize communism when you look at like how big bad things are in capitalism. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's you know, it's, it's a totally imperfect system. But we're saying when you wait it out, it's proven to the be other ones. a hell of a lot more effective. And well, every other socialism has collapsed nearly yeah. everywhere. Well, one of the challenges I have with the, your pizza analogy before where you share the profits with all the workers, um, and generally speaking, like I, I believe that like in, in somewhat, I think workers should be paid more and, and that sort of thing. But I hate that. I think this, but, but the big, but frankly is it's, a, it takes a lot of work and risk and time and energy to start a pizzeria. You have to go, you have to file the paperwork, you have to upfront the, the capital to build, buy the ovens, buy the real estate, and you have to hire the people. You have to put up with their bullshit when they don't show up for work and all. Someone in charge. And so yes. if you're telling the person, hey, you want to start a part pizzeria, you have to do all this work. Oh, and then when you do, when you get there, you, you don't get to reap the financial wars. You have Correct. to share it with all the people that just got to show up. Um, and what happens is you de-incentivize um, creating anything. You are and asking people to subsume any level of self-interest. And that's right. just not realistic. In the animal kingdom writ large, this is not like a sure. human but the, only and the left problem. Will argue, but the left, and the left will argue, well, you have, there's a certain amount of privilege to be able to take all that risk and that sort of thing, which in some instances I do very much agree with, but that is a different, that is a problem you can actually solve within a capitalist system, I believe. And that's a problem we're focusing on like opportunity and access and um, 
better education down the list, as opposed to solving it by having a socialist equality of outcome situation. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. I'm curious your thoughts on this movement in general, because I think on one hand, they've got, I think publicly have recently said they've got 94,000 members in the DSA. Um, They, as of... In 2017, um, or in 2013, their median age was 68. And in 2017, that median age of members is 33. So it has dropped. Like young people are swarming to this in a, in a um, let's call it young activists are swarming to this in a um, relatively powerful way in the sense that they now have, there are four elected members of Congress um, who the DSA has helped put over the finish line and get into office. That's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Cori Bush, and Jamal Bowman. Um in addition, there's a whole bunch of other city council candidates um, nationwide. I think it's 36. There's five in Pennsylvania. There's seven in New York. Um, they lead the de- they own the Democratic Party in Nevada um, in terms of leadership positions. Uh, and a mayor in Buffalo, um, India Walton, is a socialist who just got a, won the primary there. Um, so what's the future of this? Well, you know, th- this feels to me like a classic example of... I almost hesitate to say the extremes getting elected in like primary systems, but this is not a very big movement. The Libertarian Party has 600,000 members, right? Mm. It has 6x the number of members that the DSA yeah. has. But so there's not by many the numbers, members of Congress, right? Well, this is what's interesting. There's this disconnect between the number of like call it rank and file official members of the DSA and their representation in Congress. And and look, it's worth saying, again, like what AOC is talking about, it, I don't mind, right? Like Sweden, Norway, I mean, I think there are other reasons that it's, it's silly to try and compare us to them, but I don't have a problem with that. But it is interesting to me that there's this disconnect between what she's saying she wants and what her party is saying their platform is. That's, that's the piece that's odd about this. Um, so I think, look, I, I think we're going to continue to see this movement appeal to people. Um, I think 
as we have more probably natural disasters, a la COVID, a la disasters that are brought on by climate change, people are only going to get increasingly sick of, call it the way things are. I also think many of the ways our system is currently failing are the ways that we are not capitalist. And and what I mean by that is like corporate socialism, like the way we bail out these big companies. Um, and there, there's a lot of there's a lot of socialism at the top right now in a way that I think makes people very mad and they misidentify it as needing more socialism as opposed to needing proper capitalism at the top. Um, and I think all of this is going to only fuel young people to be more interested in this movement, um, which, uh, again, it, it could go either way to me. That could be a great thing and we could just navigate more into a Medicare for all system or it could be a troubling thing and people could get deeper into wanting a socialist communist system that I think is in, entirely unrealistic and and kind of a bizarre thing to advocate for. What and, do you think? I'll say, well, look, I'll, I'll just add quickly to your point, like um, talking about why it's different here than, than there. We could probably do a whole episode. But for example, uh, the reason we can't, there's, I, I hear this often, it's like, well, this is what they do in Norway. It's what they do in Denmark. Why can't we do that here? The population of Denmark is 5.8 million people. That's less than New York City, right? And if you want to look at like the demographic info on that, it's probably it's very, very homogenous, people. right? So co- very, very difficult to compare. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be uh, implementing the things that work that we can do, but just for context. Now, I think- Sure. And when we say it's all white people, I mean, you know, certainly there are welfare programs that haven't been pushed through. There's a lack of a robust welfare state here, certainly because of racism and because you have a lot of white people uh, and white people in power, frankly, who see welfare as like a wealth transfer from- like hardworking white people to lazy people of color, like that there's a really dark, dark narrative. Um, and so having a homogenous po- population just makes it that much easier to Build push through a robust welfare system. Though I, right. I will say, I think this is an important thing to note. The tax systems in Scandinavia are actually far more regressive than they are than, than is what being what is being advocated for by like a Bernie and an AOC, as in they tax the middle class very heavily um, in order to pay for their social programs. And you have like the Bernies and the AOCs of the world wanting to just sort of tax the super wealthy, which is wonderful in theory, but very hard to pull off in practice. No Scandinavian country, country except for this. Norway. Yes. They, ha- they tried a wealth tax and it repealed it. Sweden tried a wealth tax, repealed it. I believe Finland tried a wealth tax, repealed yep. it. That's obviously the big Elizabeth Warren thing that, again, sounds great in theory. Democrats judge policies based on their intentions, not based on their results. Look at um, this jingle. This is Carly's jingle. Okay. <laughs> um, let's, let's I want to close out just what? Cuba. Were you going to say Cuba? I was. Yeah, I wanted to talk yeah. about Cuba um, and why this matters. So... Um, just a little bit, just to hammer out some facts on what's going on in Cuba. Um, the Cuban people are protesting like crazy. Um, the main, the main things that have, um, at least they've publicly come to us in terms of their why they're protesting, is been lack of food, um, lack of access to COVID vaccines, or just like mishandling of COVID in general. And then there's now been, I think, the last final straw was these blackouts or electricity shortages, um, and they have gotten more access to the internet in recent years, starting a little bit in 2014 and really accelerating 2018. Um, Historically, we have always had an embargo on Cuba because we don't like communism in the United States. We don't think it should exist. Bad things happen. Um, uh, At least that's been our stance on it. So like since 1960, we've been um, putting embargo with trade. We don't allow trade to happen between Cuba and the United States besides food and medicine. And that's fluctuated in a number of different ways. Obama eased this 
in 2014, um, which is why you saw more internet access in Cuba and a little more tourism. And Trump came in and revoked it, said, absolutely not. And Biden hasn't touched it yet. And this is an important thing to focus on for a minute, the Obama easing it, because something that I've heard and, and that makes a lot of sense to me is you had this hope start to to exist in Cuba when Obama came in and eased the restrictions and opened the way for tourism and and opened their economy, you know, or or helped their economy in that way. And what's happened over the last year and a half, two years, three years, four years, five years, whatever it's been, was like a walk back of that hope. And there is a, a very there's a pattern in like international affairs where revolutions start when things start to get a little better and then get worse again. The haves become not, the have-nots. Not, well, it's not, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's not just abject poverty or abject misery. It's when people start to think things might get better and then that and gets then get pulled worse. back from them. Right. That's when you start to see, in many ways, what we're seeing, which is for the first mm-hmm. time, you have people in Cuba acknowledging that they're living under a dictatorship. For years, they couldn't even say that publicly or they were right. too afraid to say that publicly because it was taboo. And the other thing I want to point out, and then we can continue on with this narrative, is there's really three things that have happened recently. You had Trump reimposing stricter sanctions, embargoes, et cetera, on the country after Obama. You also have the collapse of Venezuela. And mm-hmm. Venezuela and was Venezuela providing Venezuela came them, in when we when we were not giving them any like trade or Well, specifically or like Venezuela that. provided them with heavily subsidized oil. So they were reliant on heavily subsidized oil from Venezuela and and that sort of collapsed. And then you have COVID obviously hit. So these three factors sort of all hit at once on top of existing struggles, frankly, because of communism, because you have 88% of the, the population working for the government, because you have a centrally planned economy, because you don't have private markets. Um, and that's been devastating. Yep. And so I love, I'm fascinated by this narrative because I don't, no one's really talking about it. I don't think we can actually say for certain that this is a case, but if I'm a, as a political strategist, I, this is where my head is at, that Obama was like, okay, let's ease this up. Let's help the Cuban, like the embargo that the U.S. has put on Cuba is hurting the people of Cuba. I mean, obje- like it's less, less money in the country, right? Um, less, less everything. Um, so Obama eases it. Trump puts it back. Theoretically, Biden could quickly say, hey, we're going back to what we did with the Obama era. I mean, he could, he could do that, right? Um, however, the big, and we mentioned this earlier in this podcast, is the big factor that no one's been talking about is the reason Biden lost Florida is because of Cuban Americans that do not like living in Miami, Dade County, that do not like the Cuban government and are in Miami because they want an escape from that. And by the way, if like you look at the numbers in Florida, they thought Duval County, where Jacksonville is, if they flip that blue, they're going to win because Miami is always Democratic. And Miami did go Democrat, but it was less. It's usually like 80-20. I think it was 60-40 Dem Republican. Um, and that's massive. And if there's, I would say that if that keeps shrinking, there's no chance of winning Florida for the Dems realistically anytime soon. Um, so there's that piece of puzzle, which I think is fascinating in this narrative. And you've got Biden coming out, the Biden administration and his spokes folks are coming out saying like, hey, it's just that we're, it's first things first for us right now. We're, we're focusing on COVID recovery, et cetera, et cetera. So this is just not a top priority for us right now. That's their talking point for why they're not going back to Obama era um, 
policies, I think your take is, is obviously very interesting. And, you know, there's been arguments that that's why Trump did what he did was to, I mean, he made the announcement about renewed sanctions on Cuba in Miami-Dade County, like to a group of Cuban Americans um, while he's hammering how socialist the Democrats are. Um, so it's, it's I mean, it's, it's a tragic situation. I don't like the embargo. I don't think it's helpful. I think it is just hurting the people of Cuba. I think we have a better shot of getting Cuba to call it I would say modernize. I'm sure that'll piss people off. But by by building these bridges to Cuba, um, which was what Obama was trying to do, um, but there are clearly all sorts of political considerations that beyond just the Cuban people. I um, I, I have two questions um, that I think I'd, I'd like to wrap up this this topic on. Um, one, I want to talk about the future of the party in general, and then I want to talk about um, how we as consumers of media can like navigate this because that's the goal of this so let's start with the future of the party do you we kind of touched on this a bit um do you i think the pressure this is i guess i'll start my opinion on this i think the pressure from the dsa type candidates is going to increase not decrease because it's um it's good news fodder it's good material right where black lives matter is coming out and saying we support um the people of Cuba, but we also blame the U.S. government for doing this. You have DSA saying something similar. You end up with like Bernie and Co. all like trying to thread this needle. But it keeps this like social, like we like socialism, we don't like we don't like all of it um, in the headlines. And the Republicans will always keep adding fuel to this fire because anytime they hear the word socialism, they're like, oh, that's oh, the yeah. devil. This right? is how they win elections. This is um, their like just hammer it all day long, baby. So I think I think the Republicans will continue in elections by this because I think the average American doesn't like socialism. Um, but do you think that starts to shift or um, like you think the Dems start getting more wins in here or like the four candidates have happened? You might get to eight to ten in Congress, but that they start becoming the exception, not the rule. What are your thoughts on where it goes? It depends on what they decide to focus on. If these candidates keep their message about Medicare for all and our current economic system is unfair without suggesting national. Yeah. If they they keep it on that, I think you'll see a lot more traction. I think where it gets muddied is you have a lot of people who, who are in that vein also adopt a lot of talking points around identity, race, justice on that stuff. And and whatever you think, I mean, obviously I'm actually in favor of a lot of that, but I think the talking points around them are often very unhelpful for winning elections if you if you continue to see that side of things really bleed into the economic side of things, I think um, I think you'll continue to have what you have, which is pockets of this succeeding, but in by and large the country actually reacting very much against it and going the other direction. If you have candidates that are sticking strictly to the economics of it, which was really Bernie in, in 2016, that was more more his lane. Um, I think you could see more traction in, in a way that I actually support. Um, how about you? I think, um, and this is probably the, probably answer my second question too, like how we should consume this. Um, to me, I think it's very, the data is very overwhelming and the historical anecdotes are overwhelming that socialism in the way is traditionally defined is bad. It is a bad thing. It's never worked. Um, the way, if you're, if you're consuming me, the way that AOC and Bernie and others are talking about socialism, they're not, they are using that term. So that can be scary, but they're not fun to like, theoretically, they're not always talking about they're they're more talking about Sweden and Norway, Denmark than they are talking about which Cuba, means Venezuela, socializing certain inside. industries like right. healthcare. Side note, um, Sweden, for example, has private health insurance in addition right. to public. Like 
I think the way, and I think what what um, all of us as as consumers need to try and understand that um, when this term is thrown around on both sides of the aisle, there's different definitions that people are using, and it's important to try to understand what they mean. But I think the real future is, I think India Walton, who's the woman who just won the Democratic primary in Buffalo for mayor, beating a, a at least two term incumbent. I don't. I love Buffalo. Um, go Bills. Uh, love you, Josh Allen. Um, but I don't. I don't live in Buffalo. I don't claim to know enough about this race. But what I do know, it appears that she ran her race not on I'm a socialist. Uh, these, but she, ran, but more on power to the people and that people on the ground or her closest these issues can solve them. Um, and it was issue focused, but from the American. Um, She's not calling for an end to capitalism or end to free markets, um, but more about stopping people piling up at the bottom. There's populist version of this. And I think that's the lane um, because capitalism has a ton of benefits, but people will pile up at the bottom. And it's the government's job to kind of figure this out and level the playing field um, in its own way. And great policies can do that. Um, but great policies that actually work, not ones that... Um, frankly, have been proven to keep failing over and over. Um, and that's what's scary. I think if we get more divided and people start branding themselves in the socialist lane, um, it's just going to ignite um, probably more fury on the opposite direction from moderates, not the far right, from people that are like, hey, I, I believe in a better healthcare system, but I don't like socialism. So I'm going to vote for the guy on the right because, or she, or the guy on the right because they're not talking about that dangerous stuff. And um, So that's my fear going forward. But as my hope for you guys now to have an idea of what, socialism is defined at generally how it's being defined by the dsa how it's being defined by our politicians and how it's being defined by the right and hopefully make some rational decisions as you start consuming media. slash where my mind goes i'm sure most of you are going to have like all sorts of thoughts on what we missed and how we uh poorly defined Please. it yeah i once meant to talk about this on twitter and i got you know all sorts of uh opinions so we'll, we'll get some of that too but we welcome it people are very passionate about this and i don't love that this stuff is being brought in in a positive light because socialism has not been good. Um, well, no, 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 no. See, I don't. That's where I disagree. I mean, I think really? that totally. Of course. Again, the way that it's just that it's being redefined. Like what Bernie and AOC are talking about are not. I mean, I, I was never a huge Bernie fan, honestly. Like I, I like the dude as a as a person, fine, but I, I wasn't. I think there is a lot of unrealisticness in his vision. Um, they're not talking about traditional socialism. That's what's so strange is they're just sort of redefining the term to mean something that's much more palatable. Um, and it's going back to so the fact fine. that Democrats aren't good at branding things. Because if it's not, if well, it's not I, a popular... I, this, this, is, this is a broader question that I was going to ask as like sort of a leave, leave us with is why have they chosen to describe this as socialism? Why have they yeah. chosen to kind of call redistribution socialism when that's not really been a part of the the traditional definition per se i mean i i guess there's sort of a link there great question and you play right in the republicans hands um so anyway that's our socialism debate if you want to call it debate more of just a rundown for all y'all um thank you for tuning in hope you learned something hope you can now spit a couple facts at people the next time someone brings us up in your world. Um, don't just use it on Twitter. Use it in real life, pretty please. We love you all. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks Yang for listening. will be back on Monday. We'll be back on next Thursday doing yeah, so our you don't thing. Have to, you don't have to ask me, when's Yang coming back? Wait, it's Monday. He's coming back Monday. Come back. That's he's when he's coming on back. Monday. I'll be he here on Thursday. It. He'll be here on Monday. If you want him, tune in on Monday. Yeah, whatever. Yang speaks without <laughs> Yang. It's just Yang speaks good. where Yang we doesn't speak. We love you, speak. Yang. We love you guys. <laughs> Take care.